This is the Horse Radio Network. What a beautiful day for horses in the morning. You are listening to the number one horse podcast in the world. Here's your entertaining look at the horse world and the people in it. I'm Glenn Geek from Ocala, Florida, and you're listening to Horses in the Morning on the Horse Radio Network for April the 6th, episode 2906. This episode is brought to you by Stateline Tech. Good morning, horse world. Guess what day it is, huh? Anybody? Julie, hey, guess what day it is? Oh, come on, I know you can hear me. Mike, 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 what day is it, Mike? <laughs> Leslie, guess what today is? It's hump day. That's right, it's Hump Day with your horses in the morning hosts, Jamie That Girl Jennings and Glenn the Geeky Pony Guy. Well, as you know, if you tuned in on Monday, Jamie is taking advantage of her son's spring break to take the week off and do some traveling. So I'm doing my best to put together some fun shows for you, and I think I have one today that most of you have not heard before. You know, we've been doing this show for almost 3,000 episodes in 12 years, so I know a lot of the listeners are new in the last couple of years. I know a lot of you have listened uh, since the beginning and have long forgotten what we talked about years ago. So I've done my best to look through the old archives and find some really interesting nuggets for you. And I have uh, some for you today, and I have a really good one for you on Friday. Tomorrow, we will have the Sidelines magazine. Of course, that is the lifestyle magazine for the horse world, and uh, that's already been recorded and will be out tomorrow. And they have some really fun guests for you, so I hope you enjoy that. So today, I have three parts for you, and the first part we speak with a Disney animator. His name was Daniel, and he did the animation on Maximus in the movie Tangled and talked to us all about that. It was fascinating. We absolutely loved talking to him. Jennifer worked hard to get that one set up uh, years ago, and I guarantee most of you have not heard that interview, so we have that for you first. Uh, Secondly, of course, we have our Daily Dose Equine Health segment, this time with Dr. B, Dr. Brian Waldridge. He shared some uh, stories, this is back in 2016, some side-splitting vet calls that he did. So we're going to share those with you. And for our last segment today, we're going back to 2015. If you all remember the documentary Harry and Snowman, well, it had just came out in 2015, and we got to hear the story behind the story because uh, there there was a lot of interesting things that happened in the making of that documentary. And we talked to the producer, Karen Alfeld, and she kind of went over it all with us. It was amazing. If you have never seen it, go look up Harry and Snowman. I think it's on YouTube and watch the documentary. But this was our interview with the producer back in 2015. I think you'll enjoy. So let's get started. Right now, we're going to head back to about 2016 and talk to a Disney animator. And we hope that you enjoy this segment. Well, now we have, and I have to call him live here on Skype, so we'll add him into the conversation. We have Daniel coming on with us, who works for Disney, Walt Disney Animation, and he is an animator for them and has done uh, a lot of cool stuff with Disney. We hope we can get him on here through Skype. We're glad to have you on. We're so excited to talk to you. We're all huge Disney fans, and we did our show from Disney World at Tri-Circle D Ranch. By the way, we want to thank Robin Walker for help getting this set up. She's been terrific 
and a bunch of our listeners have been over there for trail rides since we were there. So thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to to to, to talk to you guys. <laughs> you're you're a little bit quiet. Can you come a little bit closer uh, to the to the uh, microphone? I think that oh, can help. Really? Yeah. Oh. What about now? That's better. Yep, definitely. So we've had so many listeners asking questions this morning. You worked on so many cool movies, Tangled, Wreck-It Ralph, which is one of our favorites, Frozen, Zootopia, uh, and worked with Maximus and Sven, which is uh, so cool. One of the one of my best favorite characters in Frozen. <laughs> Uh, so, and we're, because we're all animal lovers here, but you know, we're getting so many questions in from the listeners. And one of them is I've always wanted to be an am- animator. And I think every little kid growing up wants to be a policeman or an animator. So how did you do it? How did you become an animator and end up at the, one of the coolest places to work? <laughs> well, uh, I, I was always really, uh, obsessed with the animation when I was a little kid back in Spain and, and you know, at the time, it was like a very impossible thing to even be able to to do that as a job, right? Uh, but uh, slowly, I was like, I had the chance. Well, I was always drawing. I I learned. I went to art school, and I had this chance to to learn animation in London. I had this opportunity. Uh, the 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 college. The, they gave me like a scholarship. So I decided to give it a try, and uh, because I always wanted to to learn how to do animation, so uh, lo- uh, studying in London was like really the beginning of my career, and um, and I really um, went from there, uh, working slowly in little little projects, commercials and stuff, and then slowly, you know, getting better better things uh, until I end up doing like my first feature film in London. Uh, and then that kind of opened the door for other feature films. And then, it's, you know, slowly I I end up doing this one big movie in Europe called Planet 51. It's a movie about aliens. Yeah, I remember it's kind that. Of, it's kind of a reverse story. It's like an alien world, which is like the Earth. And there is this human who invades the... Uh, no, invades. He visits. Like, it's like E.T., but in reverse. Uh-huh. So he, he, he visits... Uh, the planet of aliens, uh, he becomes friends of one of the aliens. Uh, anyway, that movie kind of uh, was a huge uh, hit in Europe, and uh, it was internationally uh, uh, released uh, uh, also in the United States, and uh, uh, that kind of opened the door for me to to try to show my portfolio to the big studios like Disney, uh, you know, um, and I, I was lucky enough that they look at my work and they 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 like it and they they decided to 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 hire me for uh, my first movie was for uh, Tangled in two thousand and nine. Well, now be, before so we get to Tangled, before we get to Tangled, I just have a quick question for you. Do you do they still require you to be able to draw as a, in addition to doing CG? It's not a requirement anymore, actually. Um, you, if you know how to draw, it's a plus, but it's not totally a requirement because we're we're doing everything on the computer. Um, we we it's more similar to puppetry what we do. Like we actually manipulate these puppets on the computer, and it's you know you have to have a sense of acting. You have to have a sense of animation, but there's no really a requirement of knowing how to draw. So, but it's definitely a plus. And if you have a background in drawing or traditional animation, it's totally a plus, you know. 
Well, then you started out with Tangled, and of course, one of our favorite horses in all the Disney movies is Maximus. Well, did uh-huh. was there a re, was there a horse that you used in studio? Did you bring a studio a horse into the studio to study it? How did that all happen? <laughs> well, we didn't um, bring a horse into the studio, but we're I don't know if you know, but uh, the the Disney Animation Building is right on the Equestrian neighborhood in Burbank. Oh, okay. So <laughs> we had plenty of reference, like like uh, like live act live horses right next to us uh, in 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 the building. So I would normally uh, you know see them live uh, very very often close to the to the building. So it was a good reference for us. Uh, it was it was not weird to see people uh, riding uh, horses to in the, in the middle of the street like along with cars and, and stuff. <laughs> so um, it, that that was good. And then uh, I used a lot of videos from you know in the internet. Just uh, well, if if there's a horse like Maximus, I want it. Yeah. I want that one. <laughs> I think it was inspired on a Andalusian. Um, Horse. Well, and I can of tell course. you this, Jamie. If you head out to Disney World, you can see Maximus because Maximus is at the Tricircle D Ranch at Disney World right now. Well, cool. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I'll, I'll just into Disney World. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, how does how does it work? Can, can you explain how how the process of animating, say, Maximus, happens? If you're well, not drawing it, yeah. Um, I, I come from a 2D animation background, so I do a lot of drawings in preparation for my CG stuff. So I normally would do like a, like a you know, very rough 2D animation uh, just to plan my, my work to see what, what the CG is going to look like more or less. And, and like I said, we look at videos to, to reference for, for this shot that I was doing. I don't know if you remember a shot where Maximus is trying to reach Flynn Raider and Rapunzel is not letting him. Rapunzel is kind of putting herself in the middle. Yes. And I remember she, she, she stops Maximus. And of course, he, he doesn't want to hurt her. So he, Maximus, he has to kind of break, pull the brakes. And he does this cartoony kind of, <laughs> kind of thing. Um, and he tries to kind of... Uh, move past uh, Rapunzel, but she doesn't let him. Anyway, for, to do that shot, I, I looked at videos of horses, uh, uh, you know, galloping and, and, and you know, doing things like that. And then um, the process is basically you, you get these virtual puppets, like this, 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 to- this, it's almost like a toy in the computer and you can manipulate it and you can, you know, it, ha- it has all these joints that you can move around and, and pose. And you basically post uh, each frame, each important keyframe, you post it like if it was a puppet, and then you put that in the time, and then you hit play, and you see all those poses playing, and it gives you an illusion of movement, right? So, and the computer helps a lot, like to calculate the in between poses. Um, and that's basically the process, and then. And then after that, you put more, more detail, more movement, more keyframes, and you know you can tweak every little detail imaginable, like every movement of the eyelid. Everything can be t- tweaked and, and you know and precisely adjusted to to the director's you know 
whatever his vision is, you know. So that's it's hard to explain it without visuals and <laughs> just just talking. But it, but that's well. It sounds like this whole process takes I don't know fifteen twenty minutes, real quick, huh? <laughs> Super short, <laughs> easy. Well, yeah, not really. No. <laughs> like so how long? Shot, how long I, does it take? Yeah. Yeah, I was gonna tell you a shot like that, like that that the shot I was talking to you. Uh, it, it's almost like um, uh, four seconds of animation. That can take up to two weeks of uh, work. Whoa! Just for just for the movement of the characters, and then after the movement, you need to put the lights and you need to put the colors and the texture. Well, and uh, you know all the departments are working together to get the final picture. But my job is is only the movement and the performance. But are you so, doing the? This is what I'm confused about because at the end of the movies, you see all the credits, and there's five thousand animators, right? Um, <laughs> so, but so are you just doing that one scene? And and then one of the listeners asked this too: if you're just doing that one scene that involves Maximus, and then Maximus is in the whole movie, pretty much. Are, are there other animators doing all those other scenes? And then how do you maintain? the fluidity and the consistency of, of, let's just take Maximus in this case, throughout the whole movie if you're not doing him through the whole thing? Yeah, I'm not, yeah, uh, every animator does uh, like uh, average of a minute or two minutes of animation in one movie, more or less. Wow. So we, we're not doing only one scene, we do several scenes uh, involving uh, different characters. And yeah, we have to really work as a team and really have like a single-minded kind of, you know, um, uh, philosophy. You you cannot be individual in this. You know, you have to really, if you do a scene with Maximus, you have to look at other people who has done uh, a, a scene with the same character and kind of talk to them and and make sure we all on the same page on how to how to make him move, how does he walk, how does he run. How does he do a reaction to something? You know, all these things, they, we have to be on the same page. And we have uh, tools to do that, too. We have uh, libraries in place so we can pull from those libraries, you know, and, uh, and, and reuse some of the animation that somebody has done or like a pose or faces, facial expressions. We can uh, uh, reuse from somebody else's shot and put it into our shot and, and work from there. And also the directors are, and the supervisors are, are in charge of making sure that we are doing the same character, that we are not doing different versions of one character. So, so yeah, it's all about teamwork and, you know. That's amazing. Is yeah, it amazing? It takes, uh, everything is very planned. You know, before we start doing our work of animation, they have worked very hard in the storyboards and in the script to make sure that the character is consistent and everything. So everything has already been planned for us. So when we come in, the character is already more or less defined, but we, we give it an extra personality when we do the animation. We we, we made him performant in front of the camera, and we, we actually give the final result of the movement of the character. So so we are, we are responsible that it's always consistent, you know? Now with Sven, I heard that did they actually bring a reindeer in to the studio and do the whole? Uh, <laughs> we kind of heard that. I don't know if that was a rumor or not. It's true. It's true. They did bring a reindeer. Um, I think it was a very old uh, reindeer. <laughs> I, 
because he he, <laughs> back, uh, he didn't have one of his handlers. So it was only one handler. Uh, he looked very sad without, you know. <laughs> looked broken. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was kind of broken and he didn't move. He was just sitting there. He seemed kind of tired, and it was <laughs> oh, <laughs> not, not at all. Yeah, no. Sven didn't look like that no, at all. No. <laughs> it was it wasn't very it wasn't like Sven at all. But anyway, it was it's, it's cool to have like a real animal in there to to get inspired and you know to get some reference. But now, yeah, Sven is pretty is pretty active. And <laughs> <laughs> do you guys well, do the? Uh, the thing where you hook all the all the uh, monitors up to people f- to get the movements and the stuff. Are you guys doing that too for your movies? No, uh, you, you're talking about motion capture. Yes. No, we we don't do that. We we try to keep our movies very stylized, and we yeah. don't want to make uh, realistic movements. We want to make make sure that the characters are believable first of all, and uh, are as entertaining as possible, you know. Um, uh, we want to differentiate ourselves from other uh, movies, like the visual effects movies, the live action, all that stuff, that they're using all these uh, very realistic uh, movements, you know. Uh, especially for human beings, we, we try to keep keep the, the human characters very stylized and not ultra-realistic, you know. There's always... a even when you look at you know some character like I don't know like Rapunzel, like she's very human, but at the same time she has a cartoony proportions, you know, and she has these big eyes, and you know she's like your typical Disney characters. So you don't want to make her completely realistic in her movements. You want to have a little bit more stylized, you know. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. It's probably is 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 the kind of the house style that we have. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's such a. It's you see a, a drawing and you know it's a Disney character because I wish my eyes were that big and my waist was that small, but it just doesn't happen in it's the real world. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's a cartoon. <laughs> now, I wanted to ask you when you were working on Frozen, did uh-huh. you? think to yourself or know to yourself that this was like the movie that was going to change the world. I went trick-or-treating with my son last year, years after Frozen came out, and every freaking little girl is Elsa. Like, <laughs> no. Did you did you know that that was going to happen? We didn't we did, we did ha- we didn't have uh, any idea this would be that big. I mean, we thought we were thinking, oh, this is going to be another Tangled you know, oh, this is tangled on ice. You know, when you work so many hours into into one movie, you start to be like very critical of of, of your work, and and you you know you think, oh, maybe it will be successful, but never, we never imagined it would be that successful. You know. Oh my gosh! I mean, it was they changed the world for kids for sure. Oh my god! And- yeah, it was it was a big for me at least. It was like a big. Um, I, I mean, I knew it was going to be successful and people were going to love it, but but not that at this level, you know? <laughs> right, absolutely. So when the so you're doing, say, you're involved with Sven, 
And at that time, the, you know, Hans is saying something. Uh, I've seen these movies way too many times. And so he's saying something. Do, is the voice in before the animation or does the voice come after? All the voice actors are doing their work before we do the animation. Okay. Normally, these movies are edited right, uh, way before uh, anything else is produced. You know, they, they, the editing comes first. It's completely the opposite of live action movies where you film a bunch of stuff, you know, you go into the location, you, you get as much footage as possible, uh, like different angles, you know, different coverage. And then in the editing room, the movie gets made, right? That's the, right. Live, that's the live action system. In animation, because it's so expensive to produce each second of animation, it's very expensive. So they, they try to minimize the amount of animation you produce and, and and nothing has to go to waste, you know? So the system has always been like, since the very beginning, like uh, editing comes first, like you do, you do storyboards, you do like simple, you know, animatics, uh, uh, temporary sound effects, temporary music, temporary voice uh, uh, recordings, and all that gets together into like a blueprint of a movie like very much so that you can see the, the 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 blueprint and you can tell if the movie works or not you know if the story works or not you know even if the drawings are very like rough and and everything is rough uh, around the edges but you can still see the whole movie edited you know so once that is approved and that that looks like a good movie and uh, the editing works and the timing works everything then it goes into production and then 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 we start to animate so you're animating, seriously. you're animating to the voices that are already recorded. The actors have already done it. You, exactly, so you're making, yeah. yeah, okay. Yeah, we we our, part of our work is make sure that the characters are moving the lips uh, exactly like the the voice, so it, it feels like it's the character talking and not the voice uh, recorded separately. It, it doesn't have to look separate. It has to look uh, seamless, you know. Wow. So you had you had to listen to Mandy Moore say lines a billion times. Do you hear her voice and just get chills? I mean, ugh, Mandy, shut up. Yes, yes, we get the same audio clip for forever for weeks. You know, oh. two or three weeks listening to the same three seconds of audio. Oh. Okay, of I gotta know though. When you go to the so, movies yeah. then and finally see the movie and you're with your wife, I don't know if you have kids or not, but you're with your friends or your wife or whatever, are you sitting there going, that's my scene, that's my scene? Yes. <laughs> I normally squeeze uh, my my wife's hand. I, I grab her, you know, I grab her hand and I squeeze a little bit and that's the indication that that's my shot. I did that. <laughs> <laughs> and at that's the end so of the movie, cool. do you watch for your name to go by and take a picture? Yeah, well, I don't do that anymore, but, but everybody, my family, everybody does it. <laughs> and they show it to me on Facebook. Look, I saw your name. <laughs> so your mama probably was like, my crazy ass son just drawing all the time. Like, never thought it would amount to anything here. You are working at freaking Disney with your name in the credits. That's amazing. Oh, I know. She's, she's so proud. It's crazy. Every movie, like, and she does, she loves Facebook anyway. And she's. <laughs> It makes a lot of advertising for me. I don't have to, <laughs> to say anything about the movie. She does all the advertisements. <laughs> Go see my son's movie. So what happens awesome. from here? Do you is one, uh, Once an innovator, always an innovator? Or do you actually, is there somewhere to progress to that you would like to be? 
Well, um, once you're here, uh, the, you can you can try to become a supervisor, uh, which is you know like a step uh, above uh, where you you're you're not animating as much, but you're supervising and you're kind of managing a group of people. Uh, that that could be uh, interesting thing, but the fact that you don't animate that much uh, is is kind of yeah not not appealing to me. I really like my doing my work, so if I can you know keep animating i'll be happy doing that <laughs> all right so i just looked you up on facebook and um yeah this is no computer nerd ladies he's actually hot that's really <laughs> not fair <laughs> there's a lot of uh hot animators i mean <laughs> it's uh it's we're not, yeah, we're not computer nerds. So. You don't have to say, you don't have to follow that up. I'm just letting everybody know. <laughs> I mean, there's a bit of everything. Yeah. <laughs> All right. But, uh, <laughs> You're like, well, there are some nerds. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> Listen, Daniel, this has been amazing. I could talk to you for hours about this. This is so exciting. Congratulations on all the success of all of these movies. I mean, my gosh, your name is associated with the biggest movies on the planet for forever. So congratulations and, and congratulations to your mama. Who's so proud of her boy. And yeah. she, you don't even need to do promotion. Just put your mama on stage with Conan O'Brien. Oh, She'll yeah. talk to him. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we will sell you the movie. She will take you to go and, and watch it a million times. <laughs> Aww, <laughs> proud so mom. Very good. Well, give your mom a shout out. What's her name? Daniel uh, Martin Peche. And what's, no, her, your mama's what's your name. mama's name? Oh, what's, a, my, what's my mom? Uh, Ilda. Ilda. Well, Ilda, you did a good job. You did a good job. A lot like Elsa. Maybe she was the princess. There you oh. go. Elsa, Elsa. I don't think she can hear you guys from Spain, but... Oh, uh, she I'll, can. We'll send you a link. She can listen to this. Oh, yes. Uh, you guys... Yeah, we're all this. internet, so we have oh, a lot awesome. of listeners in Spain and Europe, actually. Awesome, awesome. Yeah, oh, so, awesome. so we'll say hello to her. And uh, thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate it. Thank you guys for having me. That was that was fun. All right, take care. And also, we got to give another big shout out to uh, Robin Walker and the, everybody at the Tri Circle D Ranch, all our friends down there, Disney World Orlando. And if you want to meet Maximus like we did, you just head on over to the ranch and say that uh, Glenn and Jamie said I needed to meet Maximus, and they'll take you to say hi to Maximus. So uh, you can do that right here. Here, in here I got something. I got something for you, Lucas. Who is that? Who's that? Kids never talk when you want them to, Daniel. <laughs> they never talk when you want He's them to. He's standing behind me going, Maximus, Maximus, Maximus. I put the mic in front of his face. He's like, uh-huh. <laughs> Thank you, Daniel. Thank you, guys. Bye, Bye Daniel. Bye-bye. Well, the next segment will be up shortly, but first, our title sponsor for today is Stateline Tech. You're going to find them at Land Rover in a couple of weeks. That's right, it's only a couple of weeks away. Get your tickets now. Jamie is planning meetups. You heard that on the show. She'll talk about that more next week. So if you're going to be there and going to have some money to spend, head on over to Stateline Tech's huge booth that's in the old indoor arena on the top level kind of on the left. You can't miss it. It's the largest booth in the place. And they have thousands of items that are going to be there, many on sale. So if you're not going, then head on over to statelinetech.com right now and check out their highlighting on their homepage of their selection of cowboy boots. 
oh my God, there is a lot of cowboy boots in the world. And let me tell you, there's some wild cowboy boots now. They have 10 pages of them over there. And, uh, you know, there's some that run from the $60 range all the way up to four or $500. Cowboy boots can get pricey, but they have some very fancy ones as well. I have never seen anything like this before. So um, I there's one that actually has Benjamin Franklin's face on the bottom of the boot. Yes, that is correct. You heard me right. So check it out today, statelinetac.com, for all your cowboy boot needs. Coming up next in our Daily Dose Equine Health segment is Dr. Brian Waldridge out of Kentucky. He's sharing some side-splitting vet call stories as he kind of explains wound care, and this was back in 2016. Man, we've been doing this show for a long time. It's time for the Horses in the Morning Horse Health Report. When our intrepid hosts, together with an unlucky member of the equine veterinary trade, attempt to inform, enlighten, or terrify horse owners everywhere into funding a Kickstarter campaign to mass-produce Kevlar-coated, bubble-wrap-lined equine products. And we have Dr. Brian Waldridge on the phone uh, from Lexington, Kentucky. And uh, you can follow him on his Dr. B's Bluegrass Facebook page. And he has many adventures traveling around Lexington, taking care of all horses, famous and, and, and backyard horses. And so we welcome him to the show. Dr. Waldridge, good morning. Oh, good morning. Thanks for having me back. Oh my gosh, it's, it's, I couldn't wait to have wait you back on. Wait a minute, on. cut right there. You're talking about wounds. Dr. Waldridge, no offense, but I'll be back in about 20 minutes. Just let me know when you're done. Somebody can text me. <laughs> uh, I, right. I'm not so good at this stuff, so I'm just saying. Uh, just... Well, right. you know what? The grosser and gorier you can make it, I love it. <laughs> so bring it on. We're going to talk about wounds today. First of all, let's just catch up. How have you been? Oh, been good. Been pretty busy. The weather here has been good for late fall in Kentucky, which has been really nice. So I've uh, been getting to go to the track quite a bit, see a lot of horses, and that's been fun. Been uh, a lot of news out of old friends, a lot of new horses that are pretty exciting. You know, horses uh, heard about, seen on TV that are out there now, like uh, Alphabet Soups there. Uh, Touch Gold arrived yesterday, so and the uh, War Emblem's back from Japan. So it's been really fun to to get to know those horses, those famous horses, and still get to see my friends and uh, out in the field and get to see my old mare every now and then. Now, Dr. Waldridge, of course, is the vet for old friends. And now I just read that Stephen got even is heading to old friends. Yes. And that's, and that's going to be exciting too. So we, we've taken in quite a few uh, pretty famous stallions here in the last couple of months. So it's going to be great. I hope everybody comes up to see them. That's so cool. I know Michael Blow and I, I don't know him personally, but he just always looks so darn happy when he's out there. And we've had him on the show and he's like, I can't believe I get to walk outside and see these amazing horses. So what's it like working for him? Oh, he's, he's just a great friend. And, uh, you know, we go out there quite a bit. And uh, back when I had more time, we used to do a, a local radio show here in town at the training center. And, and I did a vet segment there and, and Michael's just, you know, his uh, enthusiasm and the amount that he cares for those horses is, is amazing. And it, and it spills over to everybody that works with him. You know, it, it's just a pleasure to work with him. And, you know, I feel so lucky to be able to work with those horses. You know, I could tell Michael sometimes I go up to him and I feel like I should ask her for their permission to do something to them. They're so famous. But, <laughs> I give you this vaccination, Mr. Solar Charm, but it, it's really, 
it's really a lot of fun. I would, I would be just, I, I'm like, give me, give me a shot of Banamine. Please don't go out there. I, I'd like, you forget how to do vet stuff because you're nervous working around these famous, famous horses that mean so much to the people. Now, last time we talked to you, you were doing a pilot episode on your vet practice. Whatever happened? Um, well, I, I haven't stopped believing. Um, still working at it. You know, the, the, Facebook page continues to grow. It's, it's really cool. You know, there's new people that are uh, liking the page every week, and, and that's been really. And even people overseas, there's people from several foreign countries even to follow it. And so, um, but my new plan I've hatched is I'm going to get a GoPro camera and I'm going to start trying to make some of my own little short episodes of you know, going to old friends or going to see other horses on farms and things to, to keep it going. So, still working at it, still trying. That would be fantastic. I would love to see that. I mean, especially with, well, like Smarty Jones is coming back to Kentucky. You could go spend some time with Smarty or go see American Pharaoh. I think that's really neat. I would definitely watch. Well, thank you. I'm going to, I'm going to keep trying. So that's going to be the new plan for 2016. All right. If you can't do it, get somebody else to do it. You got to do it yourself. My God. That's right. <laughs> and cheap, so that's what I'm gonna do. <laughs> uh, exactly, GoPro, baby, GoPro and YouTube. Here we go. Um, now, talk to us a little bit. We're gonna talk a little bit about wound care today. Why don't you get us started? Now, I think the biggest thing on wound care probably starts with: Does it need stitches or not? If you look at a wound, and, and usually, if I'm on the phone with somebody who calls by the horse's cut, is well, if you think it needs stitches, it probably does. You know, one nice thing now is with uh, everybody having phones is you can get a picture of a wound, and yeah. that's really helped because I've been where I've been you know, hours away from a client, and they'll send me a picture, and I look at it, oh, okay, well, that one's all right. Let's do something different. But I think that's kind of the first decision you know, when you look at a wound, and then how to keep that wound healthy, I think, is a big thing. And you, know, you, you really can't go wrong with a bandage unless you put it on too tight, which most people don't do. And then trying to keep that wound happy and healthy with a some type of antibiotic ointment. And, and really, just you can usually get it from your vet in a pound jar, a triple antibiotic ointment, or a neosporin-type ointment. You just buy at the drugstore. It's really a nice ointment for that wound because you have to keep it moist to keep those cells happy. Because the way that wound heals, you know, it fills in, and it gets granulation tissue, which is just fibroblasts, which are cells that help to contract the wounds. So their job is to pull that wound closed. And then the little skin cells on the top, they have to literally crawl across the top of that wound. And, and that's how the wound heals. It contracts and then epithelializes. It covers itself back over. And the wound's going to do best in a moist environment because those cells are happier and they can move easier. And also an antibiotic helps to keep down the infection. So I think, you know, the two old principles, bandage it, keep it clean. So now when you say bandage, I, I just remember my mama always saying, don't you bandage that. Don't put a bandaid on it because it needs air. Yeah. And I, and I think there's a lot of truth to that. What I often done, especially if it's a wound that may be a little further up on the leg where you don't have to worry about it getting dirt or manure into it. I think it's okay to leave that bandage off for a couple hours. Just nothing else. It kind of lets the circulation come back maybe a little better to that area that's been hurt, but. Um, you know, I like to put a bandage at least the first couple of days because another thing I think is really important is it's easier to prevent swelling, especially if it's a leg than it is to get rid of it. If the horse gets hurt, 
may not be swollen yet, then you have a swollen leg the next day. It's harder for that bandage to squeeze that edema back out of the leg. Okay, that was um, somebody write that down. It's easier to prevent swelling than to get rid of it. Okay, see, that's very important what you just said. So that needs to be on a, I don't know, a t shirt. Okay, so when <laughs> you see, that's the kind of stuff you need to put on your show. That was genius. I've never heard that before. Uh, so when we are looking at our horse, it comes in from the pasture and it has a, it has a wound. What are some of the first things that we need to look at to assess it, to know whether we need to call the vet? Yeah, I think making sure it's clean, you know, because oftentimes it's on a leg and it has dirt and it's really hard to cause any problems to just take a, a hose or some water. Another thing you can do is just keep on hand uh, or ask your vet for a bigger syringe, like a 30cc or a 60cc syringe. And if you put a uh, a 20 gauge needle on there, which they'll have and give you two and, and just squeeze water through that syringe. You, that'll have pretty good pressure and that'll help you even wash off bacteria with the pressure to clean up that wound. So you want to clean it up first because sometimes they look really bad and then you clean them up to see, well, get the blood and the, and the dirt off and see the wound isn't that, that terrible. So getting them clean, I think is the first step. Then trying with to water. decide what structures are, are affected. You know, are there, is it just, Literally just a skin wound, uh, but not like a Monty Python skin wound, you know, when, <laughs> when their legs cut Lost. off. <laughs> so you want to make sure that... Uh, One of the best movies ever made. Is. I'm just going to throw that in there. It's only a flesh wound. <laughs> like, no arms. Sorry. Yeah, Here that was some vet humor. We've used that one before. I bet. <laughs> <laughs> is that so, required um, watching at vet school, that movie? Because uh, it should be. Well, you know... I used to teach, you know, I taught at Auburn and and I decided once you had gotten a generation past the students, which is where I was when I left, they didn't understand any references to movies or or to music or anything. So Uh. you had to use it in your own. This is generational joke, which I still think is funny, but you'd say it to the students and you'd say, it's only a flash friend. And they would just look at you funny. (laughs) You just had to walk away. Well, we get it. We understand exactly what you're talking about. You know, I'm dealing with the same thing. I have a bunch of 13-year-old girls that I teach riding lessons to, and they all board their horse here, and I'll say things, and they're like, they look at me sideways. I'm like, oh, my God, are you serious? Like, that movie's like a couple years old. (laughs) That's it. Oh, I know the feeling. Okay, so back to the wound. We are cleaning it out to see if it's a flesh wound. Yes. So I think that's a big thing. The garden hose is fine. Or keep those syringes on hand. And that, that really helps quite a bit to clean those wounds up. So then we've got this wound. It's clean. How do we assess whether we are going to need just to bandage it ourselves or leave it open? Or is there some like thing that you do to kind of, okay, is it this deep? Does it involve this? Um, what, do you, what do you do next? Yeah, I think then you got to see where it is on the animal's body. If it's below the knee and below the hock, then it's hopefully just going to be skin. But back there, we have to worry about tendons and joints being open. So if it's in a close proximity to the tendons in the back of the leg or definitely it's over joint, then that's more worrisome. So it's probably, if they're there, more in your best interest to call the vet out to take a look because you know, if you get a joint infection, those can be catastrophic and they won't, show up until a few days later the horse won't become lame usually 
until that joint sealed itself back up and then increased pressure. Does that sound familiar, Jamie? <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about, Glenn. Never had anything. She just like that had happen. one that had a puncture wound that wasn't that big and then turned into a bone infection. So she knows exactly what you're talking about. There. But see, the pro the thing there is, Glenn, is I called the freaking vet and it just was this very special, wonderful thoroughbred who had this like thing. It was a tiny d- seriously, Dr. B, it was like a quarter of an inch across the, under the knee on the front of the cannon bone. And it just went up and up and up and up. I mean, we took x-rays of a probe in there and I'm like, Oh my God. So gross. Uh, it went all the way up and ended up being this bone infection, even though he was on two antibiotics, even before it got to that phase. So it, it sometimes it doesn't even matter if you get the vet out there, they're going to do what they're going to do. Right. And then sometimes if it's a bad bacteria and it's deep into yeah. the, issues, then that favors anaerobes, which are bacteria that don't even grow in the presence of air. Air is actually toxic to them. And some of those can be pretty nasty bugs. And and then we also have, you know, horses get MRSA like people do. It, um, it can spread it to humans and humans can spread it to horses or horse to horse. And uh. if we have MR, MRSA in there, there's oftentimes very few antibiotics that'll get that. that that's uncommon, but you know, it's always uh, something to kind of keep in the back of your mind for a especially a surgical incision or some of these wounds that don't heal and kind of keep some pus and maybe somebody that works at the barn has been to the hospital and brought back some MRSA. Oh my gosh. Just things I'm never going to sleep again. Okay. So do you have any good juicy big wound stories you want to share? How did I know this was yeah, coming? But... I just knew <laughs> this was coming. Yeah, I was hoping actually. Uh, <laughs> two, two, come, two come to mind. Uh, the, the first one, was really the the first emergency I ever went on by myself. Uh, I worked in rural Georgia at the time, and it was Saturday night, which makes it even better. And um, I had to meet the, the folks at a feed store, follow them back through. In that area, there were a lot of logging roads, just sand roads that went back in the pine forest, and followed them back to the where they lived. And, and I'll never forget, because followed them, they parked, and I parked, and I get out, and this cute little girl gets out, the truck right as I'm getting out of my truck and she looks up up at, up at me and she says, daddy's been drinking again. And I thought, what? <laughs> and I thought, you know, that would make a really good George Jones song, but it's not what you want to hear when you get your truck. And Sorry. I said, oh, okay. <laughs> so, so then I get my stuff and we go to try and find the foal we got in some barbed wire. So we go looking for them and, and and Daddy is back in the woods chasing the mare and the foal, um, and so you can see his pine forest. And, and finally, Daddy emerges from the pine forest, and in one hand he has his belt because he's been trying to loop that around the foal to, to bring it back, and in his other hand there's a pistol. Oh. And you know, so his pants are falling off, and that was back you know early '90s hip hop was in its infancy, so nobody was really wearing their drawers above their pants yet. <laughs> and, and you know, and, and I thought, you know, what's going on? And, and so I started talking to him. And I said, "Well, what, what's going on?" He said, "Well, I, you know, I think the foal's bleeding to death. And I'm trying to shoot it, and but I can't get a clear shot." So, well, if he can run away, he's probably pretty healthy. So let's tell you what: let's put down the gun, go get a feed bucket, and, and catch the mare, and then we'll we'll sew up the foal. So that's what he does. And we bring the foal in the barn, and and everything's going really good. And knock the foal down, start closing it up. And then, you know, it's Saturday night, so 
the, the neighbors from all around started showing up in lawn chairs and they brought beer and coolers and <laughs> <around the> circle. <laughs> Which was really good because you know, there was like a sober 13-year-old who helped hold down the foal uh, while I sutured. And we got the foal done. Everything went fine. And and it ended up being a really cool night. I sat, you know, sat around another half hour and talked to them and, you know, just visited with it. Like the whole neighborhood came over. This is your kinfolk, Jamie. This is your kinfolk. Oh, yeah, Lord have up. mercy. You said rural Georgia. I'm like, oh, God, I've been there. <laughs> you yeah, grew up near there. <laughs> I won't name the town, <laughs> just outside of Columbus, Georgia. My dad's been uh, drinking was... again. <laughs> um, you yeah. said it wrong though, because it's Diddy. Diddy's been drinking again. Did 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 the little polite, nice, sweet girl who has to grow up with that Diddy? Did uh, she happen to mention that he had a gun before you went out there? No, that was a surprise. Oh. I, I learned that as he emerged from the forest. Uh, so, uh, oh you know, you, but that's the very first emergency call I went on and I was going to shoot it, but know, I couldn't get a clear shot because it's just running too yeah, damn fast. It, it, <laughs> it was just total pine forest. So I, it would have been tough and um, I'm not sure his aim would have been all that good anyway. But, <laughs> oh uh, at that time, yeah. I think the fall had a running chance there. <laughs> yeah. The oh, vet wow. didn't have much chance. I know that. So that's why I had to calm him down. <laughs> <laughs> God. Well, oh, I, I want to hear another story. My, We're gonna t- if you have time, I you, I got to hear another one of your stories. Oh yeah. Oh, the, the second one's not as good, but it's it's unusual. This this is rural Alabama when I was back at Auburn. That uh, we had to suture up a horse that fell through an ice cream truck. What? Uh, the, the what? They had. I guess the folks had a an old like junkyard in their pasture, and um, it, there was an old ice cream truck in there, and this horse had walked into the ice cream truck and fell through the bottom of the ice cream truck and cut up its legs. So <laughs> we sewed that one up. And, These things only happen in the South. And by the yeah, way, so do they happen. not let you into any place that's even close to like city or urban? You, you apparently have to, you apparently get to go out to the middle of nowhere. Back then we did, cause it was pretty rural, you know, and you, you don't drive too far from Lexington. You get to pretty rural area. That's so, true. That is true. And I enjoy it. You know, those, those are my people. And I, and I, I really, you know, I, I just love talking to people and, and, you know, I, I can, it's easy for me to explain things to them and, and talk to them and help them with problems they may have. So I really enjoy it. I, I think it's a lot of fun. Where are you from? I'm from Bardstown, Kentucky, which is, um, Oh, yeah. About 60 miles west of of Lexington, and it's also where my old Kentucky home is. So when you hear my old Kentucky home, that's an actual old plantation house that's uh, only about two miles from where I grew up. That is, um, that's rural, my friend. <laughs> that is. It's a little place. Well, it used to be a little place. It's still pretty little in the old Nelson County, Kentucky, where we're make more bourbon than anywhere else in the world. So that's you know where thing. I, when I lived in Lexington, uh, we used to go out to Washington County and go on trail rides and man, that's some rural. Well, my dad, my uh, mother's family is from Washington County actually. So that that's right. That's good. That's right next door. <laughs> Washington, <laughs> Washington County. <laughs> now, uh, where yeah, did you Kentucky, go? To... Everybody says they're from what County? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Washington <laughs> County. Where where did you go to vet school? I went to Auburn. Auburn. Okay, so I, I didn't know if you were from. You went to University of Georgia too, because I mean that where that is, it's very rural, and you've got a lot of rural Georgia 
places to go. Oh my gosh. I know. Well, let's see. Okay. Before we let you go, let's wrap up this whole, uh, wound care thing. So we get it cleaned off and we decide where it is. We can take a picture of it now and we can send it to our vet. If you can't, you need a younger vet (laughs) because they need to be with the technology to see these things. Anything else, uh, in closing that you would like us to know? Well, you know, proud flesh is the next thing. Once we've got everything under control, is do we need to prevent? There is it an area that's more likely to get proud flesh, and so generally, if it's below the knee or below the hock, where there's really only skin in that area, those are the wounds that are most likely to get proud flesh. So, once that wound kind of begins to heal, we have to watch for proud flesh, which is what we call it as exuberant granulation tissue. That means the blood vessels and the fibroblasts grow higher than the wound than the the skin margin and once that happens the little cells that crawl across the top those skin cells they can't crawl over that think of it like a mountain they can't crawl over the mountain and so that either needs to be trimmed back or we can use steroids in our wound ointments and steroids help to inhibit that and bandages do to some degree too so if it's below the knee or below the hock need to watch for proud flesh because it's easier also to head that off than it is to go back and trim that back and then sort of start over, although we'll have a good uh, bed for that wound to heal, but watch for proud flesh in those lower leg wounds. Now, I, last I, th- this whole thing with my thoroughbred that got this cut below the knee, one of the things I was concerned about was the proud flesh. And my vet told me a couple different kind of normal household items to use to, to prevent it. So what do you recommend for proud flesh? I usually just take um Furacin ointment, I'll put in some dexamethasone, which is a steroid, and I'll put in some old wound stuff called uh, scarlet oil, the red stuff that people have probably seen. Mm-hmm. And that'll help. The steroids will help to knock back the, the proud flesh, and the scarlet oil helps the epithelialization. You know, so you can use um, a meat tenderizer. Uh, you know, I think that works better when it's pretty small uh, amounts of the proud flesh because it has trips in and things like that, but actually our bodies produce to help digest protein. So that's how that works. Um, that's probably the only other one I've ever used household remedy wise, or you can just trim it off the scalpel blade and then start over with a, uh, with a wound ointment. Oh, the fact that just throwing meat tenderizer on your horse just seems wrong. <laughs> that sounds like kind of rural Kentucky to me. <laughs> I actually have heard that one for years in rural Pennsylvania, too. I'm sure. I'm sure. Well, Dr. B, as always, we've decided now that we think that you should have your own podcast. You know, come on here once every, you know, once a week and do a little 20-minute podcast talking to people. I think that Glenn needs to hire you and make you a part of the Horse Radio Network. Oh, I'm happy to do anything. And um, and I'm going to start with some videos. I've got to get a new computer too. My computer's so old that it's not even supported by Microsoft anymore. So um, <laughs> I'm going to get, I'm going to get started up uh, first of the year. And uh, when you start do doing those videos, things. you let us know and we'll post them. Okay. Uh, oh, that'll be awesome. I, I sure appreciate you guys interviewing me and uh, helping me get the, get the word out. Cause I, I sure have a lot of fun doing what I do. Hanging out here with the mad scientist who developed daily dose equine horse feed formulas, Janet Geyer. 
And you might wonder, whenever I get my horse feed delivered to my door in Maryland or Texas or California or Missouri, am I getting the same horse feed? And the answer is? The answer is that it is always the same formula, always the same horse feed. We don't change ingredients. Uh, We are a fixed formula feed mill. Get ready to turn heads with a beautifully styled, meticulously designed arena saddle crafted from European leather without sacrificing comfort for you or your horse. The classic elegance and unbeatable quality of arena saddles will take your seat to the next level in the ring. Arena saddles are known for their beauty, comfort, and practicality. You can't deny these stylish saddles have eye appeal, but you might be wondering what makes an arena saddle so comfortable. Well, it's features like ultra-soft seats and knee inserts, a perfectly balanced seat, customizable rider support, and extra protective cushioning to give your horse softness and freedom. That's what makes Arena Saddles the premier choice for the discerning rider. With saddles from every discipline and confirmation priced at $1,599, $1,599, there's an Arena Saddle that fits you perfectly. Visit arenasaddles.com to view the full range of saddles available and to find a retailer near you. And now it's time for Karen Olfeld, the producer of Harry and Snowman, the documentary, the story behind the story. In 1956, my dad went to New Holland, Pennsylvania to an auction to look for cheap horses. If a horse didn't get sold, it went to the killers. There was a white Amish flowers. The same time I looked at him, he looked down to me. Snowman and I clicked right away. I paid $80 for him. Snowman was about to be destroyed only five short years ago. Mr. Delaire is the man who saved the legendary horse, Snowman. Down deep, the two of them were connected, and somehow both of their lives were going to be affected forever. I came to this country with nothing in my pocket. Snowman and me, we made it to the top of the world. Oh, can't that horse put on a big jump. Harry was quite the competitor. He really thought, no matter what he was riding, that he could beat the big guy. All eyes this week have been on underdogs Harry DeLayer and Snowman. They've been on an unprecedented East Coast winning streak. Harry DeLayer and Snowman have done it. They have won the 1958 Triple Crown. His driving force was never quit. The man never give up. He got so close to me. And he got so close to my kids that he was part of the family. Snowman would do anything my dad asked of him, and I believe that is because Snowman understood that my dad saved him. Snowman was more than just a horse to me. He was my best friend. How am I supposed to talk after that? Are you kidding me? I wow. knew you would be a mess after that. Why Sorry did about you that. Do, that? <laughs> <laughs> do you want me to introduce the guest, or are you yes, okay? Yes, I need okay. a moment. <laughs> All right, God, we have. We have Karen with us, who is the executive producer of Harry and Snowman, and now they got half the audience crying. Thanks a lot, Karen, for bringing the show up today. <laughs> well, thank you so much for having us. The uh, um, 
The tissues are always out, huh? Yes, Aww. apparently. And you're going to have to have boxes and boxes of them because you're going to be at the Equus Film Festival in New York City today. Well, I have to admit that I'm sitting in uh, northern Michigan, and uh, but my director, Ron, is in, uh, in Manhattan, and uh, he's so excited about the film. Um, and uh, so are all the people that get to see it this time, huh? Yeah, well, if the, if the trailer's any indication, they're just going to need those <laughs> Kleenex, let me tell you. Oh, my god. How you doing, Jamie? You okay? Okay. okay I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready. <laughs> Karen, wow. The story behind the making of this film should be a movie in itself. Reading a little bit on the background of the making of this, I mean, you had the footage, then the footage disappeared and you had to track it and tell everybody kind of how this whole thing got started. Well, I guess it goes with, you know, how we're all brought up. Um, I was brought up in a a little ski town where all these fellows and gals were making ski movies. And I thought to myself, this is so fantastic, but um, I don't really like skiing as much as I like horses. And I said, I'd like to do the same thing they're doing, but make it all about horses. And so I sort of started down this road of... um, starting to collect all these amazing little uh, pieces of information about horses and things that struck my fancy. And as I developed a uh, storyline, I um, bumped into amazing people, as you do, and we were able to um, put together a production years and years and years ago. I mean, a long time ago, back in the 70s. And um, it, it started from there. It, it was it was just a, a lifelong passion of uh, wanting to um, create film. I'm, you know, that, that old saying that film is the strongest uh, educator. Um, I just love that. Absolutely. So rather than writing a book, um, I did that. <laughs> now, you had, I believe it was back in the 80s, you had some trouble. You, you released or you had a movie that you called Jumpers. And it was unreleased, a documentary filmed in the late 70s and early 80s about show jumping. And it focused on Harry Dallaire, who was one of the top three uh, Grand Prix riders that this movie, this show, focused on. But then, of course, as it does, you kind of ran out of money. And unfortunately, the, the movie was never made. Well, for years, it was in a storage vault. And then... take it from here you wrote to the vault and ask for all of the footage back yeah i um you know i we built this amazing uh ranch after i got married and uh so you know the the ranch was finished and i was in an office and i thought you know the the time is right um let's let's do the movie so i sent off a nice letter saying to the vault um you know what kind of capabilities do you guys have i want to switch my um my celluloid to um, uh, digital and the letter came back and it had never been opened. And it said the the business was out of business. Oh my and God. so I, I just remember getting that letter and I'm thinking, what does this mean? And w- what will happen? And so I got on the phone, I started to spin my Rolodex and um, I called my crew from um, that had helped me during the movie I think um, his name was, he was a cool guy. His name was Phil. And uh, he was my sound guy. And uh, Phil said to me, he said, "Uh, Karen, I think I know someone that can help you. So I gave her a call and 
what uh, happened from there was this just amazing uh, journey of going to all these different states all around Manhattan and finding these boxes that had once been, you know, lined up on a shelf and finding them in different places. Um, oh I believe, I don't, um, I don't have any proof of it, that people probably drove uh, up to the, the business that was going out of business and um, they filled as many boxes as they could into their vehicles and drove away. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so there went my film in all these different directions. And what was amazing is that um, it had been so focused in New York City. Uh, we had thrown huge parties at Bonds Casino, at uh, these different uh, venues during the National Horse Show. And I was, it was so... Um, sort of integrated into New York City, and all of a sudden it had just like <laughs> it had ricocheted right yeah. out of New York. So that was quite a story, huh? So yeah, and so you ran ads trying to find it in the Chronicle of the Horse and in Backstage Magazine to, to help try to get people to help you find it. And finally, all the pieces came together in 2012 in Florida, where you then partnered with uh, equestrian and filmmaker Ron Davis. You mentioned Ron earlier. And then you became the executive producer for the documentary Harry and Snowman. And so your archived footage kind of facilitated the making of this documentary. Yes, it, it sure did. And, um, I have to say also that um, when Ron and I uh, met up here in uh, Michigan uh, in my offices and archives and crafts rooms and things like that, um, all those little pieces of um, things that I had collected over the years about uh, the subjects, um, they were all used to um, help sort of build that story, Um, the catalogs, the the photographs, the... um, those amazing family scenes. So I was really, really fortunate that um, I guess jogged determination had been sort of what <laughs> had run the show before this, and 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 it and it proved to be so helpful. Now we were so lucky, huh? Oh my gosh, absolutely. So tell us a little bit about what we're going to see or what these lucky individuals who have tickets to the movie tonight at the Equus Film Festival in New York are going to see. Well, I think what they're going to see is, and um, I've been to a ton of film festivals now, so um, I've seen um, I've seen what unfolds. And um, I think it's surprisingly familiar. What they're going to see is surprisingly familiar. It's almost like you're stepping into your own stable um, and where Snowman and and Harry are the stars of your stable. Uh, You can almost smell, smell the hay and the, and the aisleway and the grain. And, um, and, and I think that for people that um, don't know anything about horses, it will uh, create for them and this is what makes me the most excited and, and the most passionate. I believe that uh, the story uh, introduces a person that really doesn't know anything about our, our world. It will introduce them to the world in a way where it's friendly, accommodating, welcoming, and, mm-hmm. and things like that. 
you know, because the story is, is so beautiful. It's it's the story is the same story as as um, every horse person almost has. It's just that it's it's really really cool, and there's this mm-hmm. really amazing man and his amazing horse that right. uh, you know is like at the, the heart of it. So and, I don't know if that makes sense to you guys, but um, that's that's what it feels like to me. It makes perfect sense. So, so horse people and non-horse people alike are going to really connect with this movie. I believe so. Yes, and I've I've seen uh, from the Q and A's that I've done, um, from the emails that we've received, uh, from the support that we've gotten, um, proof of that right down the line. This is this is in a, this. It's not um, to me. It's not a, a niche uh, film as much as it is. Um, um, beautiful story. Yeah. It's, it's a beautiful story yeah. about family. Absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, just, just a month ago, my girlfriend's like, when am I going to see this movie? We need to, <laughs> and so now, uh, tell us a little bit about where and how, and when people are going to be able to watch this. Okay. So we've created a wonderful website that has on it, um, our, our schedule, for the film festivals. And so that's the go-to place. It's um, uh, www.harryandsnowman.com. Okay. And um, nothing is done uh, that's not on that, um, that site. So it's a, it's a simple, um, uh, it's a simple menu of, um, of success for that. Huh? Harryandsnowman.com. Easy enough. That's how they can find Easy it. That's enough. how they can see it. Yeah. And then uh, this has, you know, Snowman's legacy lives on. Tell us about the Snowman Rescue Fund. Uh, yeah, I, I hope everyone loves this. Um, so uh, we had our premiere of the movie down in Raleigh-Durham, which was really an incredible uh, event because Harry had come first to um, North Carolina when he um, came into the United States. So it was really a, uh, a homecoming for, for our film to be started there. So right, right after that was over, Ron took the, the camera guys and um, they went to uh, where Snowman had been uh, uh, saved. They went up to wow. the um, Pennsylvania uh, slaughterhouse and they started filming and um, we we did we had access that um, is rare to uh, a couple of the steps of the, the the whole process, and we saved three horses. Wow! Now um, we call it the Snowman Rescue Fund, and it is based um, out of Pennsylvania um, because that's where Snowman was found. Um, the, and oh, by the way, I, I just want to interrupt you there, mm-hmm. and I want to add yeah. that that auction he was found at is still running today. So I just want yeah. to throw that yeah. out. Yeah. Yeah. So we, we visited there in April, and uh, that's where we got this footage and things like that. So, um, and there's an interesting part of this, and this is sort of my, my, my take on, on what we did. We rescued three horses. Now, when you rescue a horse, you can rescue a horse and put him in your backyard if you're uh, needing a horse and, you know, wanting to fall in love with a horse. You can rescue a horse and um, help him go into a rehabilitation program where he becomes someone else's horse mm-hmm. and then goes on to live um, a healthy and loved life. 
Uh, and you can also rescue a horse and have him given a, a very peaceful ending. Um, right. There's many horses that go into these situations that um, hardly can make it, you know, to step one and step two after they're purchased by the killers. And so what we did is we 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 bought one and um, we we saved its life, but then we we put him to a peaceful sleep. And so it's a wonderful way um, to to help horses, and it doesn't cost you very very much money. Well, so how can people I love get involved? The idea. Uh, so on our website, again, uh, you go to support, and um, uh, you can click right into uh, how to do that. Well, so we I tried to make everything super simple. The 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 much more peaceful ending for these horses that need it is, you know, them avoiding these truck drives where they're falling over and they're overcrowded and then they're stuck into these large tunnels where they're smelling the blood of other horses. just, no horse, no horse deserves to have that fate. So what you guys are doing, be rescue one way or the other, it's a fantastic thing that you're doing. And you just can't even believe that that was going to be Snowman's fate when you see him jump and just this movie, HarrietSnowman.com is going to, it's going to talk to people that had no idea that this even goes on. And so I'm so proud of you guys for getting in there and, and getting it done. And congratulations, Karen, for not giving up and finding all this footage and bringing it to people. And, uh, you know, those, the horse friends of mine cannot wait to see this film and the non-horse friends of mine are so intrigued by it because so many of them have read the book and heard the stories my mom remembers seeing this horse on you know johnny carson i mean he was the heart of the nation for a while and you've brought him back and you have let people see his life and you're you're saving horses in the same way so First of all, thank you for never giving up and thank you for continuing the efforts. And I, I'm so excited. Harryandsnowman.com. You can go check it out there. Uh, Karen, anything else that you want to add before we have to let you go? Unfortunately, we've gone over in time. I could talk to you for two days. Go ahead. <laughs> no, but I think it's a, it's, a, it's a really good film for kids. Uh, because we want to teach them about the old days of show jumping. Yeah. I think it has potential to do more for show jumping than anything that we have um, on our platform right now. Well, I do have one quick question yeah. for you before we let you go. Is the DVD come, is going to be out? Is that a, a next year project? or? You know, the DVD is this elusive um, idea that uh, comes with distribution. <laughs> okay. And we are um, looking for distribution now, and okay. we, we're hopeful. All right, my God! Well, I hope it, about that, I want to see it on the big you to screen. All the Facebook so. people. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. The big screen is the coolest. Yeah, you know, you want to be there with all these people. It's it's electric. Very good. Bring your dang <laughs> tissues, my God! <laughs> there you go. Watch the preview. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Karen, I'll be right, well, executive producer of Harry and Snowman documentary. Thank you so much, HarryandSnowman.com. Go look for the film. Go donate to help the Snowman Rescue Fund. Karen, thank you so much for joining us, and have a great day and good luck tonight. Okay. Bye bye. Well, tomorrow we'll have a brand new Sidelines Magazine episode for you where they interview Doug Payne as well as some others and talk a little bit about the lifestyle of the horse world. That's what the magazine's all about. And then on Friday, I have a very special episode planned for you that I think you all enjoy that I think most of you haven't heard before. Uh, Yet it 
ranks up there as one of my top three most favorite episodes of all 3,000 that we've done. So you look forward to that on Friday. Thank you for joining us today. You can find all the past episodes at Horse Radio... Uh, at horseradionetwork.com. You can also become an auditor there. Head on over to the auditor page there. And if you're listening to this on Wednesday, Stable Scoop Roundtable is back. We'll be live tonight in the auditor room as well as on the Stable Scoop Facebook page and on the Horse Radio Network Facebook page. It's a roundtable of guests that discuss uh, hot topics in the horse world. So you can look forward to catching that live tonight or catch it on the Stable Scoop podcast feed tomorrow. Thanks, everybody. We'll look forward to speaking to you Friday morning.